You're listening to the Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you from the overcast climbs of Western Japan here on the 25th day of September, 2020. Welcome to episode 385 of the Corbett Report podcast, a message to new conspiracy theorists. And as I hope that title accurately conveys, today's message is not intended for the old hands, the long-time listeners of the Corbett Report or information like this. This is directed specifically at that subsection of the audience that just in the year 2020 is starting to realize that there is much, much more going on behind the scenes than you have ever been told. And I know that subsection of the audience is considerable and is growing every day because I have seen it with my own two eyes in terms of the engagement that I have seen over the course of the past several months of the scandemic. I know a lot of people who otherwise would have, I'm sure, kept the phrase and the, the ideas of conspiracy theorists at arm's length and held their nose whenever such topics were raised are suddenly realizing, oh, I guess I'm a conspiracy theorist for having questions about this brave new world we're goose stepping into. Well, welcome to the club, I suppose, is the message for today, the key operative message. And underline that word, welcome, because I want to take a moment to do something that I think is not popular, perhaps not even allowed anymore on the internet, which is to welcome people and make them feel at home. Uh, in this unfortunate club of necessity of people who are realizing that they've been lied to their entire lives. It is not a happy club to be joining, but at any rate, I do welcome you to it. And I think it is important to embrace all of the people who are starting to question the reality that we find ourselves in. Old hands and people who are a bit long in the tooth might be a bit cynical and roll their eyes and, oh, all these newbies. But no, I think it is important to welcome everyone into this space and make them feel at home because I think it is an experience we can all relate to, the waking up experience, whatever you want to call it. Not that that ever ends. We are always all learning new things and becoming uh, more deeply aware of what is happening in the world. But I think we can all relate to that particular disorienting experience when the penny drops and we realize the extent of the lies that we have been under for so long. It is a profoundly disorienting experience. And I remember when I was trying to find my sea legs, so to speak, in the conspiracy space back in 2006 and trying to figure out what's what and what's going on. And I'm reminded of a particular message that I heard during that time that resonated with me and certainly helped in that disorienting moment. And that was a message that was delivered by Dr. William F. Pepper at the Revealing the Truth conference uh, dedicated to 9-11 Truth that was held in Chicago back in June of 2006. Thank you. Um, I'm pleased to be here with you. It's the first time I've, uh, I've met with a group who is as dedicated as this particular group is to finding out the truth about uh, what happened on September, uh, September 11th resulting in the death of many Americans and subsequently in the death of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people in uh, other countries of the world. So I want to um, frankly tell you that I'm, I'm humbled and I, I feel um, very, very pleased and honored to, to be here in your presence and I want to compliment you 
on the struggle that you've waged, virtually alone many times, painfully, I'm sure, many times, with great financial burden. I'm also certain to many of you who have uh, devoted and dedicated your, yourselves uh, to this cause. Um, it's, an, it's a noble struggle, and I, I urge you to continue it. Thank you. Um, there will be many pitfalls, and I, I'm, I'm actually going to, um, uh, to go into some of those because you have to be aware of it. However, this republic, this old republic, requires that you do what you're doing. This is the job of a citizen. This is the job of a citizen. When your elected representatives refuse to go forward, when they refuse to stand up and be independent in terms of the forces of oppression and oligarchy in their midst, it is only the citizens who can come forward and only the citizens who can raise uh, freedom and liberty uh, for in this great land. And that's really what you are doing, and I... I hope that you will keep going against all adversity. Now, perhaps some of the newer people in the audience don't know of the work of Dr. William F. Pepper or his, his incredible work exposing the act of state that was behind the assassination of MLK, for example. If not, I will provide a handy-dandy reference for you, corbettreport.com MLK where you can find the Truth At Last documentary featuring Dr. William F. Pepper talking about his uh, work and research discovering the truth about the MLK assassination. But uh, at that time, in that moment in 2006, as I was going through that disorienting, bewildering experience of realizing the extent of the lies that we were being told, it was very comforting to hear that message from someone of the stature of Dr. Bill Pepper, who himself was not personally into the 9-11 truth space. He was not researching, he was not actively involved, but he did recognize the importance of that movement and he brought it, he took it upon himself to bring this message, the gravitas of half a century of incredible life experience uh, that he brought to that, uh, that space to say, your struggle is important and uh, I commend you for it. And that was a comforting thing to hear at that time. And unfortunately, uh, yeah, let me check. No, no one of the gravitas of a Dr. William F. Pepper is here today with me right now, so I will have to do. But I hope I can convey that similar sense of a welcoming and also to, like Dr. Pepper, to extend my own personal uh, uh, welcome and commendation. If you are questioning the craziness of 2020 and everything that's happening right now, well, congratulations, you are on the right track. I commend you in that noble struggle that you are engaged in. And no doubt there will be disagreements between myself and yourself and yourself and other people in the audience and what have you. But for the moment, let's lay those differences aside because our similarities, the boat we are all in that is sinking is more important than those things that keep us artificially divided. And that is part of the message that I want to come today to deliver to you, uh, because, uh, yes, I actually came so prepared, I actually brought notes for <laughs> this talk today, uh, because there is an important message about what we can learn 
and what I hope I have learned over the past 13 years, at any rate, of doing this research that I think is important to pass on, that uh, it's important to keep in mind as you start venturing into this brave new world that you find yourself plunged into, there are some things that hopefully will keep you somewhat grounded, some lessons that we can learn from the successes and the failures of previous movements like the 9-11 Truth Movement, that if you are only getting into this information right now, it's probably because the 9-11 Truth Movement was not successful in reaching out to you in one way or another. So let's, let's examine some of those lessons and see how we can apply them as we move forward into trying to hopefully uh, take this information about the current scandemic and push that into a, uh, a movement against this biosecurity state that's coming into view. So, um, first of all, things that we can learn about the world from the 9-11 Truth Movement and what it ultimately failed to achieve. I think the big picture lessons of 9-11 include such things as the state is incentivized to fail, quote-unquote, uh, that yes, there is actually an incentive for the state to fail so that it can then claim that it needs more power, more authority, bigger budgets, etc. Um, this, of course, means that the state of emergency, the, the boogeyman, whether it be terrorists, whether it be the invisible enemy of this virus, is, of course, by definition, necessarily never-ending because it is not about actually uh, getting through some sort of emergency situation. It is actually a form of governance unto itself, a governance of fear. Uh, that, of course, as I went through in my COVID-9-11 presentation back in the 9-11 period, it was presented in the context of homeland security. Now it's being presented in the biosecurity context. Uh, of course, a cor corollary of that is that powers that are accrued in the name of this emergency situation will never be relinquished, at least not willingly, by the oligarchy. Once they have taken these powers, they're never going to say, okay, the situation's over, we can, we can relax now, everybody take, take a breather, it's okay. That will never happen without a fight. But on that note, some important lessons to learn about that fight, about that struggle against the encroaching police state. Uh, some important things that we have learned over the years. One, the oligarchs never, ever, ever want a fair fight, so they will never ever present you with the opportunity for a clear and, and uh, determining struggle. Here it is, here's the moment where we all rise up and overthrow the power structure. They will do anything to prevent that from happening and they will use any underhanded means to prevent that from happening. One uh, specific instance of that that always occurs to me is the opt-out day that activists had planned uh, to demonstrate against the, the body scanners, the TSA security theater, the various infringements on people's basic civil liberties and freedom of movement that were taking place in the post 9-11 homeland security state. And I can't remember which year this was. I want to say 2011. I will throw in an article that will help flesh out this story. But there was a day set, and it was going to be around that Thanksgiving day busiest travel day of the year in the United States where there was going to be a mass opt-out from the body scanners. No, I'm not going in the body scanner. You've got to pat me down individually. And there was going to be thousands, tens of thousands of people all opting out on that day, on the busiest travel day of the year. It was going to cause mass mayhem and make a very clear point that the people were not going to put up with the security theater. So how did the TSA respond? What did the oligarchs do to prevent the people from demonstrating their power to say no. They didn't let them say no. On that opt-out day, when it came, city after city, airport after airport, they turned off the body scanners and they just waved people through. 
just wave people through because for that day, of course it doesn't matter. Yeah, okay, you can go through this day. That's all right. Because it's not about, it's a security theater. It's not about keeping anyone safe. There's no protocol that has to be followed. It's about the psychological conditioning that accrues over many years. So for that day, they let people through. No, no need to demonstrate. You're not going to make some sort of big scene. We're not going to stop you. Just, just keep on going. We're just waving you through. And for that day, they... They laid down their arms. There was no big opt-out day to report on because there was no big scenes. Everybody got, got through and nothing happened. There was, no, there was nothing to do. There was no activism to do. So they survived that opt-out day because all of the activism had been organized for that day. And that will happen time and time again. If you have some mass lockdown protest or whatever, they will allow certain pockets of resistance here and there in order to allow the bigger movement to, to, to uh, the suppression of the bigger movement to occur, um, to never allow the enemy that chance to really demonstrate their power. And of course, their enemy is you and me, all of us, uh, the average person. So they never want a fair fight. Um, and also they would prefer, I mean, we're human beings, we're going to fight, we're going to argue, and we are humans that are socialized, we are, we are social beings that will interact with those around us. So the people that we see and interact with are tend, going to tend to be the people that we direct our firepower at. You're, you're, you're all ginned up, you're looking for some sort of decisive battle. You, you have this Hollywood programmed image that there's some big battle scene where we all line up on a field and charge at each other and hack each other to bits and someone emerges victorious and that's the end of the story. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. We're all ginned up. We're all ready to go. We all got our axes sharpened, but there's no... What do we do? Who, do we, who are we going to strike at? There's no big battle. So you end up taking your frustrations out on the people who are lined up with you. And that is, of course, the divide-and-conquer strategy that has been employed for literally millennia, but certainly demonstrably for decades to get the public at each other's throats. And that happens not only in the broader public when we start dividing people up along gender and sex and all of these different lines and racial lines and all of that and getting people fighting in those ways, but also within movements themselves, getting people within the movement to identify the big problem. You know what the big problem with the people who committed 9-11 is, is this other researcher over there who doesn't believe what I believe. And that's the person who's stopping the truth from coming out or something along those lines. Uh, here's a little hint, a little tip for people who are new to this space. The people who spend most of their time railing at that, that's a guy, that guy's a disinfo guy, that's a shill, that's, that's misinformation. The people who spend most of their time doing that and, and not enough of their time actually informing you of the real truth as they see it are, tend to be the disinfo people themselves. They are the ones that are put in that situation to disrupt it, to get people fighting with each other. Uh, that's why it's extremely important to, tr to the extent possible, avoid falling into dogmas that everyone must believe this, this, and this about what it is that I believe, or you're the enemy. Keep the real enemy in mind. It is not the average person who's struggling to make ends meet and struggling to put food on their family's table. It is the people who are literally directing the system, who are literally creating the money out of thin air, who are literally creating the systems of control that are controlling the entire human population and are seeking ultimately to re-engineer the human population at the genomic level. Those are the enemies of humanity, not your neighbor, not the person that you're talking to in this forum or what have you. So keep your firepower directed at the real enemy. 
there are some other corollaries and general things we can take away from 9-11. Um, about that, for example, falling into dogmas, there is one reason, and only one reason, that 9-11 happened, and it's all for that reason. And if you posit anything else, then you're a shill, blah, blah, blah. There is no one reason 9-11 happened. There is no one reason that JFK was assassinated. There is no one reason this scamdemic is coming together. No, these big, monumental, earth-shattering, uh, world-historical-changing events, these big events happen because there are a number of different interests that converge. Uh, all sorts of, all wings and factions of the oligarchical group, even ones that usually fight with each other, they all have an interest in this particular event taking place in this particular time, and that's why it takes place. So you can point to that agenda, and that agenda, and that agenda, and you can all be right. It is not an either-or switch. So don't get stuck in either-or thinking. All right, let's get into some practical advice about what you can do. Of course, that's what we all want. And as I say, we're all primed and ready for this big battle. I've seen it so many times in the movies. We all get ready and get prepared and trained and set our, our positions, and then we go into battle, and, but that's not happening. So what do we do? We've got to have something to do. Okay, fair enough. That is true. And there are actual specific things that you can start doing today that will make a difference. 100% guaranteed that are important and that you personally can start doing right now, right this second, if you want. And uh, if you haven't watched or listened to episode 384 of this podcast on The Library of Alexandria is on Fire, I will invite you to do so right now so that you will understand the big problem that we are facing right now, which is the, the problem of the modern-day Library of Alexandria, the sum, knowledge of human, the sum total of human knowledge being collected, uh, categorized, systematized online, is also being burnt selectively. Certain texts in that library are being selected for burning, i.e. deletion, or censorship of various sorts, so that we are going to be uh, increasingly uh, hobbled in our knowledge of the world because we will not be able to access certain important texts. There is a part that you can't personally right now can play to help combat that digital burning that is going on right now, and that is to save everything. Well, save everything of importance. We'll put it that way. Uh, every article, every video, every podcast that you come across that has important information, make sure you save a copy to your personal device, your personal hard drive that you control. Make sure you have that, not on some cloud, not on someone else's computer, not trusting that it, the link will be there forever and always, because it will not. I guarantee you that. Save it and make sure that you have it in some form. And that brings with it a couple of challenges that are quite easy to surmount. The first one is, how do I do that? And that should take you a grand total of maybe a couple of minutes of searching to figure out five different ways that you can save a YouTube video or save an article or save a podcast to your hard drive. Invest those couple of minutes in changing your life for the better by starting this habit. And it should become a habit of saving information. I personally engage in this. When I read an article that I think is important, I save it. And I have a little directory uh, on my hard drive research. It's split into a number of different categories. I, uh, I slot the, the articles in there. And then maybe I forget about them. Maybe I remember, isn't there something I have about this topic? And I go into my uh, research file and, oh, I find that folder. There it is. Okay. Or sometimes I just, well, I wonder what I know about this. And I'll go into that research file in my folder and uh, folder on my file and 
there's all this information. And I, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. That's handy. Also, of course, as I have been doing this over 13 years, you better believe there are articles and videos and podcasts that I've come across before that were important that I know, oh, that's, that's where I learned this particular piece of information that suddenly it's gone. The link's gone. It's not in the Wayback Machine. Whatever it is, you can't access it again. I still have it. And there are a number of things over the years that I have saved, rescued from the digital fire at the Library of Alexandria because I've been saving those things. It does make a difference. Do not discount it. It is important. Now, the secondary thing, the the longer-term thing that we have to think about is, okay, how do we preserve this information for long-term storage? Because that's a different beast altogether. You don't want to just entrust it to your hard drive. Eventually, you're going to have to store it on some medium. Maybe it's better to print it out if if it's an article or something, so you have a physical paper copy or whatever. Those are the types of things you can decide once you have that information saved, stored, that you can access. Make sure that you do that. That is important. I'm telling you, that is an important step. Number two, sounds like a school marmish finger-wagging type of thing, but it, I, trust, uh, I trust you'll understand it is important. Number two is study history. Really, study history. It has very practical uses. It's, of course, good to just know about the world, but it has practical uses that you can apply as you go forward in your research and study on the various scams that we are being subjected to. One is that immediately you can start to counter the fallacious argument from incredulity that people use to try to counter your conspiracy theorizing. Oh, but that's ridiculous. Why would someone ever do that? Oh, that's just silly. No one would ever think to do that. You will suddenly have a raft of examples that you can point to from history of actual times that that thing has actually taken place. For example, just as one example off the top of my head, if you're talking about the concept of false flags, why would a government attack itself? What are they, you're crazy. It doesn't make any sense. You will have such things as my brief history on false flags, the video I did where I went through centuries of history of governments disguising itself as enemy forces to attack its own forces in order to gin the public up into war hysteria. It's happened over and over and over again for centuries. So it should not be unthinkable that it would happen again in our time. So you can immediately counter that type of argument from incredulity or argument from ignorance. Uh, Of course, also, as a corollary, you'll start to better understand the enemy. You'll know their modus operandi, how they operate, how they think, how they strategize, what sorts of things they use to try to move the public from here to there. And you'll start to recognize when they are doing it so you can point it out to others, which is an important part. As I often say, if you can expose the magician's trick before the magician pulls the trick, people will not fall for the trick. They'll go, oh, that guy knows how the trick is done. Oh, well, let's ask that guy. You will suddenly become a font of wisdom and knowledge to all those people who are calling you crazy. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Uh, a year, two years, ten years, who knows for how far down the line, they'll suddenly go, oh, that guy was right. And that, that will cause the penny to drop for some. Uh, it will also teach you specifically how movements are undermined and controlled. Uh, as one, again, very specific example I can point to, I will point you to the third book of the final report of the church committee hearings, which it, it demonstrated in a great degree of painstaking detail, exactly what the FBI's COINTELPRO program was that ran from the mid-1950s into the 1960s, officially, 
that's when it ended, right? Uh, that program, how it came about, what it did, how it sought to undermine various groups that were seen as a threat to the establishment, in this case, either Hoover or the administration that happened to be in power at that time, and how they worked to undermine those groups in very specific detail. And it could be very... Uh, treacherous and underhanded and deceitful things, as you might imagine. Like, of course, using undercover operatives to go into groups, to get into positions where they could direct security, for example, and then start agitate for violent action so that then the government would have an excuse to clamp down on that group. Or it could be going into groups to try to accuse this person or that person or that leader or this leader is disinfo. Oh, that guy's an agent. That guy's an agent. That is what the agents do. They accuse other everyone else of being agents to, in order to foment that sort of unrest within a group. They write poison pen letters to the leaders' wives and such things. Oh, he's cheating on you and all these sorts of things to try to undermine and and in any way they can discredit and uh, ultimately decapitate the leadership of any such movement that arises in opposition to their power. Again, read through things like that third book of the church committee hearings and the other books. But that's that's a good place to start. And you will start to understand how these things are done. And, uh, and hopefully, you will start to strategize how to prepare yourself against them. Uh, for more detail on important things in history that you should know about, base ground-level things that I think everyone should know about, you can go, for example, back to a Corbett Report radio broadcast I had a number of years ago called Documents for Your Info Arsenal, where I went through things like the COINTELPRO documents and other documents that I think everyone should at least know about and uh, hopefully familiarize yourself with so that you will better understand the world that we're in and the, the enemies that we're facing. Uh, my documentaries, of course, are another, I hope, a valuable source of information about the, seclu- the occluded history that they don't teach you in schools, whether that be Century of Enslavement, about the banking history of the United States, how and why Big Oil conquered the world, about the, uh, the rise of the robber barons and what they did with that power, uh, World War I conspiracy, of course, where I talked about how World War I was really generated, uh, I think are important things, and the follow-up subsequent episode on history written by the winners, where I talked about exactly how history, as we come to be taught it, is... Uh, fomented and uh, crystallized around a bunch of lies. Uh, Or you could just type the word history into the search bar of CorbettReport.com and you can find lots and lots of other material that I've produced on the subject of history over the years. More broadly speaking, on solutions, what do we do? My third thing will be to say, speaking of going to CorbettReport.com, go to CorbettReport.com, look at the word cloud on the sidebar of that uh, of CorbettReport.com and in that word cloud of the most common tags on the site you will find the word solutions click on that tag and you will find don't just go through the first page or the second or the third keep going through the pages and you will find dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of articles videos interviews podcasts all sorts of media that I've produced on all sorts of solutions things that you can start implementing in your life in numerous ways today, whether that's guerrilla gardening or open source software and 3D printing, community gardens and uh, community uh, uh, freedom cells and and, uh, uh, building community organizations, community currencies, alternative currencies, uh, peer-to-peer economy, all of these things that are essential building blocks to the solution of decentralizing and getting the power out of the hands of the psychopaths that wish to control the human species. And uh, once again, there's a lot of different ideas in there. Literally, literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of material in the archives on that subject that I hope will be a valuable resource for you. The fourth thing I want to stress is do not replicate the mainstream media in the alternative 
media, which is easy to do because, again, if you're new to this information, then likely you have grown up and spent your entire life steeped in establishment propaganda of one form or another, sometimes blatant, sometimes not so obvious. But it is establishment propaganda, and it works on a number of levels. And so our tendency is to want to go into the new space, this alternative space, and essentially look for the old mainstream verities. But we cannot solve a problem with the same level of thinking that got us into the problem. And the mainstream establishment media uh, mouthpieces have engineered our expectations so that we will constantly be steered into blind alleys or steered off precipices. For example, we have been engineered to have short attention spans. Hell, if you are listening to this podcast and you've made it this far, congratulations. Because there are a number of people who cannot look at, oh my god, there's a video on YouTube, it's longer than five minutes, oh, I don't have time for that. So if you've made it this far, you are clearly on the right path. Uh, but we have to expand our, raise the bar of our expectations for discourse in every possible way, not just in terms of attention span, but also in terms of nuance. Understanding that the world is a complicated place, there are many different things. We have to think deeply about these things. We can't just come up with ready-pat answers and slogans and hope they will steer us in the right directions, because slogans have always consciously been used to steer humanity in the wrong directions. And we get into sloganeering and simple categorizations, we will fall into the same traps of uh, uh, many our forebears. Uh, and that leads into an, another important point. We want to replicate an e echo chamber, a nice, comfortable echo chamber that will swaddle us in everything we already believe. I understand everyone does that to some extent, but we can be conscious of that and consciously counteract it. Here's a little test. If you are listening to my voice right now and you subscribe to other podcasts or YouTube channels, hopefully you're getting off of YouTube, but you understand what I mean. Whatever media, way you consume your media, look at your feed, and if there is nothing, literally nothing in there with which you tend to disagree, nothing from an alternative perspective that you are not on board with, then you're not doing it right. You have to confront uh, other ideas. And it doesn't mean you have to change who you are, but you have to at least sharpen your skills in terms of understanding where the opponent is coming from and crafting meaningful answers to those uh, questions and claims. Uh, it is important to challenge ourselves, so we should be making a self-conscious effort to do that. Do not swaddle yourselves in, a, a, uh, in an echo cham chamber. And finally, stop chasing the MSM tail. Uh, this is a point I repeatedly make. I will direct you to a, a video I made on how uh, the media is a t uh, news is a social construct. It is used to program you, in which I make the point that yes, the news is a social construct. What is the news of the day? Well, that's decided by some editor in some mainstream publication who, more likely than not, given the uh, the history of such things, look at CIA and the media by Carl Bernstein, just as a starter, these are likely operatives of the intelligence agencies, whether on the payroll or just in, on a nod and wink uh, sort of understanding. But at any rate, these are people who are setting an agenda for a specific reason, and they want you thinking about this topic on this day, this topic on the other day, and uh, to not ever uh, set your own agenda for what you want to understand about the world, what you think is important, it is important to stop chasing the MSM tail. So, unfortunately, even the alternative media can fall into that trap of only ever debunking what the establishment is putting in, which is continuing to chase that tail. What are they talking about? Well, let's talk about that along with them. We have to set our own agenda sometimes and uh, just detach yourself. Maybe go on a media cleanse every now and then to see what it is that you think 
without other voices in your ear telling you what to think. And that leads us to the fifth point, which may be a performative contradiction given the message of today's episode. But the fifth point is stop looking for other people to tell you what to think. Stop looking for other people to tell you how to act. Stop looking to the alpha male leader who's going to come in on a white horse and, and make everything right again. That is a false template that has been given to you by the establishment to keep you waiting forever. Trust the plan. Don't worry. The, the real people, the alpha males are in charge. They're going to take care of it. You just have to follow and obey. No. You do not have to follow and obey. There is such thing as earned authority. There is such thing as leadership that uh, people should, uh, well, should is a difficult word, that people can follow if they choose to. But that's leadership by example. People who aren't just telling you what to do. People who are doing something. And you look at that thing that they're doing and you say, that's right. I like that. I'm going to do that in my life. And then you lead others by example. Not telling people what to do, not making people do what you want them to do, but by leading by example, being the change that you want to see in the world. Stop me if you've heard this before. But it is important. Get out of the mind frame that the leader is going to come and tell you what to do. All right. Those are just some basic things that I think are important for people to understand. And <laughs> perhaps I'm getting a bit luxury in this welcome. It is meant to be a welcome to this space, but obviously time is short and uh, some important things are happening that we have to deal with uh, very quickly. So I hope you will get up to speed quickly. The Corporate Report is one resource for that. I hope you will use it as such. Thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of media that I've created over the years that hopefully will help to form and inform a, a greater context and understanding for what has led us to this spot so that we can work our way out of this spot intelligently. That is my hope anyway. And feel free to disagree. That's always welcome and allowed. Now, having said all of that, I think it is once again important for all of us to welcome the new people into our midst, even if we are cynical and jaded and, oh, I've, I already knew all that, and, oh, they are not, uh, this is boring, I want something new and infotain, infotaining. Uh, no, we have to welcome new people into this because a lot of people are suddenly starting to realize, oh, those crazy conspiracy theorists, I guess that's anyone who goes against the establishment. Well, I guess that's me. Yes, it is. It's all of us. We are the targets of this system, so we have to stick together or hang separately. And... On that note, uh, once again, I, I invite uh, participation uh, from the old hands and the longtime listeners uh, at CorbettReport.com. Please help welcome people in by giving your own advice, the things you've learned along the way, telling people what it is that you now understand by participating in that conversation, the real conversation that's happening at CorbettReport.com, not YouTube, not some other social media space at CorbettReport.com in the comment section where the real comments are happening. And hopefully we can get a nice welcoming atmosphere where people will share their insights and, uh, and uh, knowledge that will hopefully get us uh, all on board so that we are able to better stand up against this incredible behemoth that we're facing. It is a big task. I don't take it lightly. I hope you don't either. On that note, I'd like to leave you today once again with the words of Dr. William F. Pepper from that conference in 2006. That's going to do it for today. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Looking forward to talking to you again very shortly. So, finally, in conclusion, with all of this, I think, 9-11 is the seminal event of our time. It is the event that should radicalize the people of this country. If any one event would, it is this one. It is you who are the, uh, the torchbearers with respect to that truth. And you have to continue to 
bear that torch and to try to get it into the mainstream and not be discouraged when you don't and not be discouraged when you get discredited and when you get attacked and when you are ignored because that is the nature always of prophecy and prophets in their own time. I ask you not to mourn the passing of democracy and liberty in this country. Don't mourn it because mourning takes energy, it's negative. Don't mourn the passing of democracy. Organize. Organize to restore it wherever it's possible for you to do so. Steal your spines, inspire your children. And then when the moment is right, rise again as though from the ashes and rebuild this great land. Thank you.